All right, good morning, Christ Central. I am one of those teachers that Abraham was talking about, and I am ecstatic. And so, happy summer, Christ Central. Yes, ha- yes, happy summer, Christ Central. All right, um, and so today I will be reading um, Psalm 23. My name is Tierra Perry. Don't think I said that yet. I am Tierra Perry, and I will be reading Psalm 23. It says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central Church. My name is Josh Kim. I am one of the parents that gets to stay home with the child that comes back from home after school. So I believe this psalm is very appropriate for us. I have all that I need in this season when teachers are not there to care for my son in many ways. Are you in it with me? Amen? Um, I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central Church. We're glad that you could join us this morning. If you're new, please do stop by our visitor's table. As you know, we stopped doing... Um, Sign up. So if you're new, we have no way of knowing that you're new, um, especially as your mask comes off as well. We're so used to seeing just half of your face. So if you can't really tell if you're new with us or not, please do stop by our visitor's table. All this to say, and we'd love to connect with you to share with you what God is doing in this church. Um, we are continuing our sermon series in Psalm, in the summer of Psalms, as we say, and we're going to go through different psalms that teach us about life and what it means to worship our God. And today's psalm is a very familiar psalm for many of us, Psalm 23, uh, and we call this Psalm of Dependence, Psalm of Confidence, as they say, and uh, it's a psalm that's written by King David in his time. As many of you know, about two years ago, we had a garage fire, and it was it, it was a result of what we call a oif moment in our house. And you may wonder what oif is. It's something that my wife uh, gave it to me as a nickname, and it stands for, oops, I forgot. She often says, another oif moment happened where you, oops, I forgot happened, where we had a small fire pit, and for some reason, a friend of mine brought his entire backyard with him to burn the night, and we burned it all night, uh, and lots of ash Um, was left over as a result. And, you know, this this is when we have, oops, I forgot moments. I thought it would be a great idea to put all that in a box, cardboard box of all things, right? I put a lot of water on it thinking, hey, we got it out. And I shoveled it, put it in a box thinking this will make a great compost for a friend of mine the next day. And oops, I forgot moment happened where I put it right next to the firewood, which happened to be right next to the fire starter, right? Don't ever do that, even if you think it's out. And I had a great idea of putting it in my garage, hoping that it will go away. Uh, As you know, it caught fire, burned through the cardboard box, 
and burn through the firewood. Fire starter, that's a great way to start any fire, right? If you want to start a fire out there, not just inside your garage. And the fire just caught on fire, basically consumed the entire garage, including my wife's car that was inside of it. Uh, thankfully, thankfully, we're here, we're alive, and didn't consume entire house. But you know what I thought as the fire was raising on, and we actually ended up putting out the fire ourselves, as I was spraying the water upon this fire again and again and again, the thought that came to my mind was not actually, oh, I'm so grateful that I'm alive, or I'm so grateful that this is not catching the entire house on fire. The thought that came to my mind was, how much will this cost me today, Right? Oh my goodness, how much will this cost me? I remember Pastor Derek called me that day and I was talking to him and he asked me how I was and I just asked him, how much will this cost me, bro? How much will this cost me? And he simply said, are you serious? You are right, right? I think we are, but how much will this cost me? But you know, he asked me, do you have insurance? And I say, yes, I do. And he said, you're fine then, you're fine. And what's crazy to think about in the midst of all this craziness of repairing the house, going to the traumatic event, the person I talked to most was my home insurance agent. Above all, trying to make sure that all this will be cared for financially. And you know what? It did. The home insurance coverage helped to repair and take us out of this crazy traumatic experience to a point where now we have a brand new garage, basically and a new car, and all those things to do that. And you know, insurances are designed to do that for us, isn't it? To save us so that we don't go towards the financial destruction. In many ways, it works to provide a safety net. That's why we get car insurance. We get home insurance, and we get all the other things, a dependence, all around coverage at that, and care that we need in times of crisis like this. And in the life that you and I live, we often seek this kind of dependence, something to fall back on, to give us peace of mind. And the question for us is, what is something that you and I place our trust in in our life today? What is something that you bank on and saying that this will get me through this season of my life, hoping that it will pull us through? And some of us, it's our education, right? Even if all fails, I got my degree, I got my connections, and I'll be able to get that next job or next place that I need to get to. Some of us, it could be our family. Even though the world is against me, I got my family with me, and they'll be with me through thick and thin. Some of us, it's our bank accounts, saying, well, I have this extra reserve that'll get me through this jobless time or the difficult financial crisis. Or it could be status. This is my position that I'm in, therefore I am okay. Or oftentimes it's you, yourself, thinking that, well, I made it thus far, I made it through these times, and now I depend upon myself again, not on anyone else. But the question remains, what if those things fail as well? What will you do then? What if all those things you depended upon place your confidence in fails, then what would you do? Then where do you turn to help? King David, who wrote Psalm 23, knew that feeling very well. 
Many scholars believe that this psalm was written in the context, the backdrop, as David was fleeing for his life from none other than from his own son. In Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 13 through 16, we're told of David's dealings with one of his sons, not Solomon, but Absalom. And we're told that this son, out of his rage, kills his stepbrother, manipulates his father, King David, and playing against his affection for him. And now, of course, we know that in raising a child, it's both ends, right? It's also the sin of the parent as well as the sins and choices of the child. But we see in all these things, Absalom is killing his brothers and carefully planned out assassination, but now goes after David's throne. It's not like he's saying, I want to be the next in line for this kingdom. He's saying, let's get rid of this guy, my father, the king, so I could be the king in place of him. And he does this by plotting to get people on his side behind his father's back with his charm and his looks. And he does, in fact, stages a successful coup at that. So we find out in 2 Samuel 13 through 16 that David is running away from his throne, out of Jerusalem into the wilderness, wondering, wondering what is going to happen. And it's a tragic scene. We're told in 2 Samuel 15, 23, that people are lined up weeping, weeping that this king, the promised king, is running away from his own son at that, all that he has trusted in, falling apart. So perhaps at this moment, as he's out in the countryside, fleeing for his life, he looks out and he looks at the pastures at the time, and as it was a common sight at the time, he might have seen a shepherd with his herd, a flock of sheep. And perhaps he brought back a lot of memories for him. As you know, David was a shepherd before he became the king. And just like many of us do, when we look back at our lives and thinking about all those fond memories, reminiscing of the good times, he may be thinking, man, I was a shepherd at one time. What a peaceful time was that with the flock, with the herd that follows me, resting in the field, perhaps David was thinking the same thing, looking out to the shepherd and the herd. And in light of all this, in the context of fleeing for his life, where everything is falling apart around him, as he looks out into the field and looking at the shepherd with his herd, he writes this psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord Yahweh is my shepherd. One of the most beloved certainly well-known psalm of all psalms. We surely romanticize this psalm and think of the peaceful moment, don't we? When we think of Psalm 23, we think of the shepherd and the sheep and a very peaceful moment at that. But actually, I would think that this is a cry of extreme desperation, of someone that is on the brink. This is Psalm 23, Psalm of confidence or dependence, desperate cry, turning to the Lord because he alone is the only hope David has in this moment as he flees his son, seeking the Lord in this time. And the same question for us this morning as we journey through this psalm with David today is, why should you and I also depend on the Lord, especially in this season of our lives? Why should you and I also have this confidence in our Lord to pull us through in this season of our lives today? And three things we see. First, the reason why we should depend on the Lord is because he leads us in the front. 
He leads us as a shepherd in the front. Psalm 23 starts with the capital letters, the Lord, L-O-R-D, in all capital letters to indicate a personal name of God, Yahweh. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord Yahweh is my shepherd. I have all that I need. This is the name God reveals to Moses in Exodus to the Israelites that are coming out of the land of Egypt saying, this is me, Yahweh, I am who I am, and I am personally going to lead you out of the oppression. And here David says, God, my God, is Yahweh. God of the promise is my shepherd. And David calls God as my shepherd above all else. And Sorry about this. I think there's a lot of study. I was told to do this. Okay. Is that better? What is the significance of that? David was a shepherd, as we said, before he became a king. So when David calls God a shepherd, it reveals to us who God is to David at this moment. You know, the shepherd lived with his flock. He went everywhere with them. Shepherd's job was not only to tend to the sheep by taking care of them, guiding them, protecting them, and feeding them, but you know that shepherds were also a doctor when they got hurt. The shepherd provided them with food and everything the sheep ever needed. And here David says, he is my shepherd, the great shepherd that provides all these things that I need in this moment. Therefore, he said, if he is my great shepherd, and I have all the things that I need. That means God, the good shepherd, not because of who you are, but because of who he is, you find all that is needed. And you know why this is so good for us? Let me tell you something about the sheep. I first heard this uh, shared by Reverend Charlie Bates of Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. And further research upon this shows that sheep desperately needs the good shepherd to survive. Talking about the eyesight of the sheep, they say, do you know the sheep has a 360-degree vision? This picture with me, right? Think about a sheep today, like if it was right here. The eyes are on the side, right? It's not in the front. So it gives them a 360-degree vision uh, by being able to see a lot of things at all once. And you think, that's great. That is great. But you know they have a poor depth perception. It is said that if you take a sheep and turn it around in the front yard, he'll be lost due to the poor depth perception. Hence, you see sheep running into things all the time without proper guidance. There was a shepherd that talked about how sheep constantly banging his head against a fence because he couldn't see where he was going. The sheep, says, can be found in the front of the water, and he could also die of thirst unless the sheep leads them to the water. You know why? Again, due to the poor perception. Sheep also needs the shepherds to go in front of the field that they're grazing in to remove the sticks and the rocks. You know why? Because again, the sheep, because of the poor perception, will prick their nose on the rocks and the sticks. And when they do, they'll swell up, suffocate them to death. Imagine that. I can't see the grass, so I'm hitting my nose on the rock and dying. And they have such a poor perception, they say. Sometimes they don't know that predator is in front of them. That's why oftentimes they'll be playing with the wolves. 
as a result of that. All this to say, because of their poor perception, sheep cannot eat, move, and they're easily preyed upon, so they're absolutely dependent upon the good shepherd to lead them through. The scripture tells us we're like that sheep going astray. We do not have the perception that allows us to be on our own thinking, I got this. Because without the good shepherd, we will be leading ourselves astray from the Lord. He's got to lead us. He's got to give us what we need. Verse 2 also reminds us about the eating, the resting habits of the sheep. He says, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. When he says he lets me or makes me rest in green meadows, you know why that's so important for the sheep? They said the sheep is not to lie down until it is fully satisfied, meaning they have to be fed well, rested, fully hydrated in order for them to rest and lie down. When he says, leads me beside peaceful streams, again, why? Because they say sheep is unable to drink from fast running water. The shepherd must find still water for them to drink. Again, the scripture reminds us that we are like the sheep that won't find the satisfaction and contentment anywhere else but in the presence of Christ and Christ alone who knows our needs and who will fill our hearts until we are satisfied so we can fully rest in him. Church, scripture reminds us that you and I need this good shepherd to lead us. And when you and I are led by this good shepherd, the good shepherd who knows us and knows our need, he will not only lead us, but he will do the following in our journey in verse 3. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right path. He brings honor to his name. You know what that means? Basically, you get to live as you're created to be walking after our Savior. The good shepherd leads, and the faithful sheep follows the path the shepherd guides for his flock. This hits home because just like the sheep, I have very poor perception. As a nearsighted person with a severe myopia, my eyesight's at negative 8.5 with contacts, and not with contacts. I mean, I, I need contacts because of that. And negative 10, because I'll be legally blind, right? Negative 10 in glasses. So it's like the funniest thing in the middle of the night. When I wake up in the middle of the night, the first thing I do is not to say, okay, where, is, where are things? First thing I do is this. Because I can't see where I'm going. And I'm just looking for my glasses all over the place. And oftentimes as I do this, I smack my wife, <laughs> thinking that something's there. And unless she gently holds my hands to lead me to my glasses, I'll be doing this all the time. And you know, actually, my wife also has a really bad eyesight. So both of us are doing this at the same time. <laughs> Try to lead one another to the glasses to find ourselves to follow the way. But you know, I need a gentle guiding hand to follow. Or forever, I'll be doing this because I have hit the glasses and it's fallen onto the ground. Church, what we are called to do in this season of our lives is to follow our great shepherd that leads us, that knows our need, 
that knows that without his guidance, that we cannot perceive to follow Christ. So how do we do that? How do we follow our shepherd that leads us? As we sing these songs, as we read the scripture, as we gather like this, what we're called to do is to listen to our shepherd's call, a beckoning of our shepherd that guides and leads us to follow the guiding hand of our Father. May we pray as we meditate, as you depend on the Lord, to follow the good shepherd that leads us. Second reason why we must depend on our Lord, the Savior, is not only he leads us from the front, he walks in the midst of us. He walks in the midst of us. Verse 4 says, Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me, your rod and your staff, they protect and comfort me. Here David now seems to reflect upon his current situation. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, and this literally means for David at this point, the death is closing on him. I may really, really die soon. And knowing David's context, yes, it is not just a hypothetical situation, but this can really happen to his life. And I believe this is not only true of David, but we do not enjoy these things, but we know that regardless where you're Christian or not, you and I are going to go through the valleys. We're not immune to the pain. We're not immune to the sufferings that this world has to offer. And perhaps many of us may feel like that you are in that moment right now. Perhaps it's a chronic illness that just won't go away. Perhaps it's a difficult relationship that you and I have. Perhaps it is a difficulty at work that we face again and again and again. It may be on our own spiritual journey. We're in a desert, dry ground. We've been wrestling and struggling for years, wondering where is God in the midst of all this. And you know what's the biggest emotion that you and I often experience in these moments? There are despair, of course. There are blames, of course. There are questions, the frustrations, the anger, all that is there. But I believe that one of the most closest experience of being rock bottom, death-like experience is that of fear. Fear of wondering, will I get out of this? Fear of wondering, will I be able to survive through this? Fear of wondering, am I going to lose it all in the midst of all this? Fear of the unknown often grips us and paralyzes us. That's why in the midst of this, you know what David does? He says, you, you God is with me. If the verse 1 and 3 is almost like saying, God is the shepherd. Yahweh, the personal God is my shepherd. In verse 4, he says more intimate, desperate cry that says, You, God, you are with me in this. The shepherd, the great shepherd is no longer just ahead of you, leading you, saying, Come, follow me. But the imagery David uses is now the good shepherd is walking right beside you. You are with me. Not only he's by your side, but he's also protecting and guiding. Verse 4 says, He's there with the rod and staff to comfort us. 
Going back to the ship, uh, sheep imagery, they say the sheep cannot defend themselves. And you can kind of tell that, can you not? Right? Some of, some of the sheep has horns, but if you think about a prey, a predator is going after, this is it. Right? Most of the time, they're the easy prey. They're not known for their speed. They're not known for their smart. They're not known for anything else. Oftentimes, the way they're going to fight back is to say, bah, right? As if that's going to scare anybody. So who's going to save them? The shepherd. And we see that throughout the scripture, the shepherds fight dangers. David fought with bears, lions, and he killed them, he rescued them, and he often used his staff as a weapon against these predators. God is saying he is that shepherd that will protect and fight against the enemies. Again, picture with me on this too. We often see the staff with the hook at the top. And this hook is useful for the, sh- uh, the shepherd because it is said that the male sheep especially, I don't know why you always have to be a male sheep, but they like to roll under its stomach and point their stubby feet in the air. And you're like, oh, that's so cute. They're not. You know why? Because they're an interesting animal. They said when they do that, the gas in their stomach could rise. And the blood flows out of their legs, and ultimately they die. Just because they flipped over. Male sheep. Men, do you understand that? (laughs) You and I are like that, without proper guidance. So that hook is needed. So when the sheep is on their back, to pull them up by the shepherd to go the right way. Man, in time of need, in time of fear, it is said God is armed with rod, a weapon, to fight the lurking animals of threat and the staff to guide you, to lead you. But God is saying he is ever with you, guiding you. And this is not saying God will deliver you out of the circumstances today. It's not saying if you just believe that God will lead you out today, But what God is saying, in the midst of the puddles, in the midst of the tears, in the midst of the darkest valley, that he is ever with you, with his rod and staff that will comfort you. Not only he leads us, but he walks with us. He sees each one of us. He knows what causes harm. He knows what is needed, sometimes through discipline and hardship. But he walks next to you, leads us. And this ultimate display of the gospel was in Christ. God came to us to walk amongst us, to show us how to live, to save us from going astray through a personal relationship with Christ. Even for those of us who do not have relationship with the Lord, perhaps you're here because he is ever after you and he is with you to bring you into his fold. And what he promises is not the absence of the trials, but his presence in these trials. Notice it says, even when I walk, he's walking with you in it. Don't you love how often Jesus walks with disciples throughout the scripture? You see him walking, guiding, and teaching. And often says, Uh, oftentimes the first thing he says to disciples before he teaches them is, do not fear. Do not fear to the disciples in the storm as he walks on water. 
Do not fear of the flesh and the world. Do not fear the enemy. And ultimately, do not fear, for he is risen. He is no longer here. If he is able to overcome death once and for all, what can he not do to overcome? And what happens through Jesus coming our fears? That's when disciples preach boldly. That's when Peter learns to walk on water. This is when the woman who met with Jesus run to testify about Christ. He who calms fears walks with us. He who calms our fears calls us to walk boldly, confidently, resting in his care. Yahweh, the personal God, knows us and guides us. And I think this is so appropriate for us, isn't it, Christ Central Church? In this season of transition that you and I are going through, of the unknown that is ahead of us, I believe what God is reminding us is that He has gotten us. God goes before us. This is not a one person's church. God is with us, He will walk with us. Do not fear. His rod, his staff will protect his church, this church, and you and I may rest in him together. Amen? Amen. Final thing, the reason why we must rest and place our confidence in him is not only because he leads us in the front, he, guide, he walks with us in the midst of us, but as the title of the sermon says, all around coverage, he pursues us in the back. He pursues us in the back. What do I mean by this? We see that God sometimes leads us as the shepherds do in the front. But he also sometimes walks next to us as one of us to understand our pain and sufferings. But as we see in verse 5, he prepares and pursues us from all around. He says, you prepare a feast for me. In the presence of my enemies, you honor me by anointing my head with oil, my cup overflows with blessings. Verse 5 says, He prepares a feast before you in the presence of my enemies and anoint my head with oil. Do you notice that? It says not the feast is outside of the enemies. He says a feast before you in the presence of your enemies. What he's saying is here we see not just for you to survive the hardships, difficulties, changing of the circumstances that's important, but what he's saying in verse 5 in the presence of my enemies, he's saying, even when you seem to be stuck in the puddle of the madness, he's still pursuing after you. The language that is used is a feast, the cup, oil, all indicates a festive celebration, party like atmosphere of triumph, hope, glimpse. And what God is saying in the midst of all this, he's got us. He's ever pursuing after us. And I love the and testimony that we heard from Justin today, because I also had a season of my life in high school when I wandered away from the Lord. In my faith and in my view of God, often wondering, what does God really care about what I'm going through? As I went through the identity crisis of being hyphenated, Korean-American, not really belonging to one or the other, when the world looks at you differently than what you really feel like inside, what does that all really mean? Did God really make a mistake? I don't belong here. I don't belong anywhere. 
So when I want to find satisfaction and joy and the world has to offer and experience all that. But you know, every time I came home, in the, whether it was in the wee hours of the night or as, or as I was leaving home or in the puddle of my questions, there was my mother's gentle and loving hand that always welcomed me home. And she often said, welcome home, my beloved son. You are my beloved son no matter what you do, no matter what the world says you are. The point, church, is that this shepherd is that good shepherd who is constantly on the lookout. The fact that he pursues us means that this shepherd leaves the 99 to find the lost one. This is the shepherd that jumps into the puddle of tears in the cliff of the mountains to look out, calling, seeking, pursuing, and ultimately finding his sheep. The shepherd knows who are his, and you are secure in his hands, not only because he knows you, but even in your failures, he's pursuing after you. It may through the word of the Lord, it may be through the gentle words of encouragement, that hug, that smile, that song, that confession, that moment when you feel like nothing is there, the good shepherd is ever after you, pursuing you. He is ever after his own flock. You know, upon the announcement of our transition last week, um, as the church has called me to care for you during this interim period as your interim pastor. Uh, many of you walked out last Sunday, and some of you said congratulations in this season. Thank you for serving. And one of you aptly said, sorry about your loss. And I said, thank you. Yes, I grieve with you. Um, in Christ Central Church, we're in it. Honestly, I'm with you. In many ways, I'm definitely afraid of this season not only because of the transition, um, but not only because Apostle James said not everyone should be teachers as they'll be judged more strictly. You know, I had somebody take the blame for me before. Now I don't have that, right? Now I'm deathly afraid that at the feast, the festival day when Christ returns, I have to answer to him when he asks, what did you do with my blood-bought lamb of Christ? And as your pastor, I have to give an account for every word that comes out of my mouth, even this during the season of transition. So I'm deathly afraid to lead. I'm deathly afraid to preach. I'm deathly afraid to see us through this transition. But you know what this psalm reminds me of this morning? It's not about me, right? It's not about you either, right? This is his church. His love resides in this church. Not only what we're called to do is not to be that shepherd, not to look for another great shepherd, but to find our shepherd who is already leading us, already guiding us, already pursuing us. And that's what David sees, isn't it? What the great shepherd is calling David is not to replace the great shepherd but to be a model that follows after the great shepherd because ultimately the great shepherd will return and the great feast will come. The one who pursues us will complete 
his mission. Because verse 6 talks about the eschatological, the end time view of the festival, the feast that is coming. That's what we see in verse 6. Surely the goodness and the unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord Yahweh forever. As the goodness, the unfailing love of the Lord will pursue, actively pursue all my life. What we see is this shepherd that began the good work in us, who leads us, who guides us, who loves us, who pursues us, will carry it on unto completion. And you and I could be absolutely secure in his hands, no matter what the darkest valleys may bring to us. He's orchestrating all things. He's never not in control. He's at work. He will lead. He will walk. He will push us towards him. What more can we expect from our Savior? One last thing before we close. How do we sing this psalm together? We talked about that, didn't we? Psalm is meant to be sing, sung together as a hymn, a corporate worship song. A while ago, I had a debate a conversation with a group of friends. And the talk became centered around an old song, old song that goes, Jesus, you are my all in all. And this fellowship that we're in and the conversation we're having, this one sister of ours said, I can't sing this song. We said, why can't you? She said, I can't sing this song because I'm not genuine. We're like, ooh. What do you mean by that? And she said, I am, as I sing this song, you're my all in all. I'm not saying, I'm saying, I'm merely saying this, but in my heart, I have so many things that says Jesus is not all in all. So I sound like a hypocrite singing this song. And all of us said, ooh, deep, sister, <laughs> deep stuff, right? So the question is, can you really sing this song? You know, really, can you sing some of the songs and not feel like you're faking it? Because I'm not no David. I ain't no David. I ain't no saint. I'm allergic to pain, right? Let alone the valley of shadow of death. Once I see Darkest Valley, I run the other way, you know? But if we're honest, it is pretty darn hard to see when you're in the midst of the valley too, isn't it? We're in the nation that's divided. We see the black and brown bodies on the streets constantly again and again. When at a mere ideology, even Christians bicker and fight. Not to mention the ongoing effects of COVID, now the monkeypox, to add to that. Talk of recession that is coming, inflation, the highest in 40 years, just to top it off. When you're in the near, the shadow of death, in the darkest valleys, how do you see God, the shepherd that leads us? How can you believe in this all-around coverage, not only for you to live by it, let alone tell others about it? So how can David sing this song, and how can you and I sing this song? And I think as David is writing this song, he's not writing this song after the entire experience, actually. He actually writes this in the, most, in, the, in the moment in the midst of it, I believe. This is written in the moment in the midst as he's fleeing away from his son Absalom. And I think as David writes this, as he sings this in his heart, he's not saying, hey, I got this all down. 
But what he's saying is, I'm writing this as a reminder for myself to remember back to my shepherd. God, who was there with me, was seen by prophet Samuel when everyone passed on him. This is same God for David who was with him against Goliath. When Saul was after his life, this is the same God who was with him through the numerous battles against Amalekites, Canaanites, Philistines. This is same God that affirmed his kingship and the promise of the throne forever in 2 Samuel 7. This is same God who was with David in the field as a young shepherd tending his sheep before he was the king. Yahweh watched over him. You know what? For David, this is the same Yahweh who visited him via prophet Nathan in the puddle of his sin. This God will continue to meet with them. That's why David writes this song and sings in the midst of the puddles of the tears. And for the Israelites who are following, they sing this song and they're reminded of the lessons of King David. They are to remember their God who was present, the great shepherd who led them out of Egypt, who are continuing to be faithful to King David, who will also be faithful to his people. So as they sing to one another in corporate worship, they're again reminded that God will pull them through. And for us, church, this is not only the story of King David, not only the story of the Israel, but we are told that this is our story. The great shepherd came. Christ, the great shepherd, the lamb to be sacrificed on our behalf so you and I can be secure and safe in his place. That's the great story. That's the story of our lives. So we sing this song today as a reminder for us. We sing this song to one another as encouragement for one another. We sing this song corporately together as Christ-centered church in this season of transition to remind one another our God who have been faithful for the past 19, 20 years, the same God that will be faithful for eternity. Church, will you sing this song with me? Let's pray. Let's pray this song, shall we? As we gather, as we sing, let's cry out to the Lord together. Father, that's our song of prayer, our desperate cry for your deliverance that in the midst of the darkest valleys that we all go through, and many are unsaid, unshared, but you know the depths of them all. Father, may you meet with many as you have met with Justin in that fellowship where you spoke to him with all the sermons that were directed at his heart. Father, we know that you are actively working in the hearts of your people. Father, may you speak, may you lead, may you guide, may you walk, may we ultimately pursue in our puddle of tears and struggles so that your glory may be revealed and we can feast with you to follow the great shepherd that guides us and leads us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Church, that's what we do with our prayer of confession and assurance as well. I'm going to change my mic, I believe. In the midst of our prayer and confession as we come to the Lord's table, this is the same prayer written by one of our leaders. He's not saying, hey, I got this down. Look at the words that I wrote. 
I've done this all my life. And um, I don't think it's, it's too far stretched to say because I know the guy who wrote this, he would say, I'm writing this and I'm confessing before you. Follow me as I follow Christ. So let's do that, shall we? As we confess our sins, as our children walk in. I love it when children walk in during this time. You know why? Because they get to see you confessing sins before our Savior because you're not perfect. Our God is. Let's model for them, shall we? So let's sing this prayer confidently out loud. Let's not just merely repeat after it. Let's sing it with all of our hearts saying, this is me, Lord. We need you to come and forgive us. Let's sing, uh, let's sing and pray this prayer. The leader will begin and congregation will follow. It says, Father, we confess all together. We commit idolatry when we are led astray and follow the lies of the world. We feed upon these lies through the media we consume by the voices of political leaders who desire our votes and by our own desire for personal comfort, enrichment, and success. We act as if we are smarter than you. We make decisions that violate your word. If we think it is best for our own happiness and security, we do this even though it is you who created us. You know us better than we know ourselves. Lord, have mercy on us, for we have sinned. Jesus, we confess, we often fail to minister to those who are hungry, thirsty, strangers, sick, or in prison. Even though we will be ministering to you, we often fail to share your love and salvation with those who have never heard, even though you told us to make disciples of all humanity. We're often blind to the burdens carried by others, even though you told us to bear one another's burden. We are quick to point out the faults in others while ignoring the faults in our lives. Lord, have mercy on us, for we have sinned. Finally, Holy Spirit, we confess we fail to spend time reading the Holy Scripture through which you instruct us. We distract ourselves with other things and don't meditate on your truth. As a result, our hearts and lives remain unchanged. When you convict us of sin, we do not repent. Instead, we find ways to rationalize our sinful words and actions, and our sin separates us from you. Lord, have mercy on us, for we have sinned. Church, let's do that. Lord, have mercy on us, for we have sinned. Let's cry out to the Lord. Sing this song together to the Lord who can forgive, who wants to forgive, who beckons his sheep, the flock, to come back to him. Let's pray. Thank mm -hmm. you.